Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Thinking Basketball Podcast, my name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I want to talk all about shooting. The greatest shooters in the history of the league. And really, what the signs were. How can we forecast great shooters going forward? Can we look at guys based on what they've done in college or what they did in the year or two before they played in the NBA, if they're a European prospect or something like that? Can we look at their rookie shooting and successfully forecast who's going to be a great shooter or an all-time great shooter going forward. That That's the exercise I want to go through today. That's really the idea behind today's podcast. So in order to do that, of course, we need to classify who the great shooters are. You know, have some reasonable proxy for what it means to be a great shooter or an all-time great shooter. So we'll definitely do that in a second, but just some housekeeping. This is really, in a sense, a continuation of the last episode. They both stand alone. I wanted them to both stand alone, but it's all the same kind of research that I've been doing throughout the course of the year on younger players. A lot of the YouTube breakdowns I've done on the YouTube channel have been on younger players and looking at their skill sets and connecting skill sets to forecasting or projecting um, where they will be based on statistical similarities in other players. And so that's really the genesis of this research. This is specifically around, you know, how well can you predict whether someone's going to be a great shooter? Or very similar to the last episode, if you invert the question slightly and look at the great shooters, are there any that became great shooters without having a particular statistical footprint, let's say? when they were young, when they were in college or about to enter the NBA, and when they played their first season in the NBA. After that, all bets are off. It's one thing to be able to grow, as you'll see many of these players grew and did not peak as shooters until their 5th, 6th, 8th, 10th season or whatever, but usually the writing is on the wall. So that was the idea behind this. Uh, That's where we're going. And without further ado, let's just jump in. Uh, The rookies this year, so some of these guys I've done video breakdowns on, and it came up in some of the research for them, and some of them are just also having really good shooting seasons that we'll circle back to at the end. Trey Young, of course, who's had a a big season, and Luka Doncic, the best rookie of this class. Those two guys will look, because that's really where it started for me, was thinking about how good can they ultimately be as shooters based on where they are now. And then we'll also look at the guys who are just the top five shooters by three-point percentage in this class with any reasonable volume filter. I think, I don't remember what I put on there, 100 three-point attempts or or something like that. And that's Landry Shamit, who's already been traded, uh, Colin Sexton, Alonzo Trier, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Kevin Herter in Atlanta. So we'll come back to those guys and uh, kind of tie in 
this research as I did when I was compiling it or the, the whole reason why I looked into it in the first place and kind of see if we can categorize where these guys might end up as shooters during the prime of their career. So to do this, to start the exercise, I needed a filter. I needed some way to say, how in the world can I categorize shooters without getting into difficulty of shot making or differences in eras or things of this nature? And and the two filters that I came up with, well, actually a couple more, but the two main ones are 85% free throw shooting and 40% three-point shooting. How many times in your career did you hit that 85% free throw mark in a season where you shot 40% from downtown, the 85-40 club? And of course, we need to filter for, you know, you can't have a guy who took two free throws and two three-pointers. So the uh, volume filters that I incorporated in this search were players with at least 100 three-point attempts and at least five three-point attempts per 100. This is definitely going to skew this more toward the three-point era, of not just of the last 40 years, but since the three-point shot started to become a weapon in the mid-90s when they shortened the line. But that still gives us 25 years. It still gives us access to players who came into the league in the 80s, as you'll see. And that's kind of, I think, in line with the spirit of what we're trying to do with guys playing in 2019 and going forward. So hopefully this gives you an idea of not only who the greatest shooters ever were and some of these great shooting seasons, but based on the statistical footprint they've put forward in a similar time, in a similar era, in a similar game, who has the ability to continue to improve? Where do we see outliers? How rare is that? and so on and so forth. So without further ado, the 85-40 club produced a number of players, a number of seasons. I don't remember what the exact total is, but something like 40 or 42 players have done it multiple times, and then there's another handful of players who have either barely qualified or... Uh, you know, done it once or done it from a short three-point line. The line was shortened, for those who don't know, between 1995 and 1997 by almost two feet. So uh, percentages spiked. So the guys who are really firmly in the club, there's maybe 40 in change who have done it multiple times. Of those players, I divided them into two tiers based on how high the numbers were and the frequency of occurrences during the heart of their career. So in other words, if you did it eight times, that's better than doing it three times. If you did it two times and you barely qualified, uh, that's not as good as doing it five times and steadily qualifying 88% free throw shooting and 43% three-point shooting versus 85.1% free throw shooting and 41% three-point shooting. Okay. With that said, let's start with tier two. Let's let's look at tier two, what it means to be a tier two sort of all-time great shooter, and then tier one. We'll go from there. For tier two, uh, the average guy, there's about, again, about 20 players who qualified for this tier, and that means they usually hit this 85-40 club two or three times during their career, uh, perusing really quickly I don't believe any of them were up in the 90s in free throw percentage. We're not going to be seeing 
you know, 44 and 45% three-point shooting seasons and things like that. So in no particular order, tier two all-time great shooters based on this criteria. And then we'll look at where they were in college, where they were as rookies, and kind of start to build up a statistical repository of what to expect for young players moving forward. So tier two guys, again, these are guys that typically did this two or three times in this career, uh, excuse me, two or three times in their career uh, without monster numbers. Uh, Mo Williams, he did it twice. Eric Pietkowski, the old uh, Clippers sharpshooter, he did it twice. He peaked at about 87 and 40 or so, 87% from the line, 40% from downtown. Kevin Martin, very similar. He did it three times. Allen Houston did it three times. Craig Hodges, one of the OG guys here in terms of qualifying for this. He did it two times, uh, peaked around, again, very similar numbers, around 88 and 41 over his two-year shooting peak. Danny Green did it two times. Hubert Davis did it three times from the full line. Another OG guy, Del Curry, Steph's dad, he did it twice from the full line. John Barry did it three times. Dana Barrows, three times. DJ Augustine, three times. Uh, Here's a name that might surprise some people. Chris Paul has done this. Chris Paul, uh, he did it once, but... His He may be a borderline guy, but his resume was enough for me to kind of include him in these tier two guys because his averages, check this out, Chris Paul's shooting averages from 2010 to 2017 were 88% from the line and 38% from three. So this is a tremendously skilled shooter falling just, just missing uh, this club, this 85-40 club in a number of seasons and achieving it once. Jody Meeks did it twice. Hersey Hawkins did it three times from the full line. Danny Granger did it twice. Ben Gordon did it four times. When Ben Gordon came into the league, he was a he was a flamethrower. Um, 86 and 41 as a rookie for Ben Gordon. We'll come back to that in a second. Manu Ginobili did it twice. Ryan Anderson. And then one more guy similar to Chris Paul, uh, and that is C.J. McCollum, who's already done it once. He's still relatively young, and his surrounding seasons have been very close. So maybe another borderline guy, but also through him in that group. Now, what's interesting is if we look at where these players were the year or two before they entered the NBA, and I say the year or two sometimes because you want a larger shooting volume to make a judgment on if someone only takes... 73s in a season, you want to see if you can get that up to 150 or 200 as a sample size. So it's typically the year or two before they came into the league, depending on the player's shooting volume, and then their first year, their rookie year. And again, some shooting volume exceptions were made as I went through some of these players. If they didn't play much as a rookie and they played more as a second year guy, then I tried to look at, you know, their first 150 or 200 threes that they took in the league or something like that. Sometimes free throw numbers are very small samples. You want to make sure you get over 100 free throws on a player. Things of of this nature. Okay. So when we do that, for the group of players that I just listed, 
which is about 20 or so guys. Again, I'm calling these like the tier two great shooters based on this filter. The average of the group, the average of these tier two shooters, the year before they were in the NBA, again, sometimes that's two years. So let's say right before they came into the NBA, they averaged 82% from the line and 39% from downtown. Sometimes that's a European line. Sometimes that's a college line. Sometimes that's an old college line. Sometimes that's the new college line. Uh, The NCAA pushed the line back a, a foot a number of years ago. And studies have shown that that makes a small a small difference in three-point shooting percentage, as we might expect. Nothing huge. So considering all those variables, you're still looking at when guys come in from these lesser leagues, an average of 82 and 39. The first year in the league, what we typically see is a slight dip in performance. Some of that is just because the line moves back. Uh, some of that is because you're playing harder competition or you're in a new environment you're asked to do more and those things can impact your shooting Uh, the physicality of a game pace speed you know uh, playing different roles mentally juggling things creates what we call a cognitive load in cognitive psychology and then this can impact the performance of the nervous system and things like that so before they come into the league 82 percent from the line 39 percent from three. Their first year in the league or their first 150 shots or whatever it may be in some cases, 82% from the line, again, right around the same number, and 36% from three. So that's the pattern of these guys that were able to generate two or three seasons in this 85 and 40 club. Their numbers maybe were in the mid to high 80s from the free throw line. They were able to flirt with or hit 40% from downtown on decent volume throughout their career. And, I mean, you heard the list. That's that's a who's who of really good shooters over the course of the last three decades in the NBA. The, the low end of these players, I would say, belong to the guys who maybe were a little more on the borderline. Say, Mo Williams, for instance, was not a good three-point shooter in college. He took a bunch, but only 29% when he was at Alabama. 85% from the line, which is a very good sign. 29% from three. He's really the the worst three-point shooter of anyone before coming into the NBA who was able to achieve some of these numbers. Or you could look at it from a different perspective and say... John Barry had the worst go before coming in. John Barry in college at Georgia Tech, he was only 72% from the line. Although Barry did have the ability to knock down triples, he was 37% while he was there at Georgia Tech. So that's really sort of the low range you should expect. Maybe free throw shooting. I mean, again, most of these guys, the average 82% from the line, 39% from three. So very few were even in the 70s from the line, and the ones that were in the 70s, like Barry, Danny Granger is another example, 76% from the line, 39% from downtown his last two years in college. Uh, It's very rare. Del Curry shot 79% from the line as a senior in college, uh, but they didn't have a three-point line back then, by the way. And so that means if you're forecasting a guy and you want to understand the probability based on, these aren't huge samples, but based on players who have done it, it's much more likely to get there if you can get your free throw shooting in the low 80s 
in college or even higher, right? That you want that 80% mark. Eh, maybe if you're in the 70s, it's okay. But if you're in the 70s, you at least want your three-point shooting up. 37, 38, 39%. That's going to get you there. No one else has made it to this club with those numbers. And again, the average 82 and 39, except for one anomaly. So if we have 20 players in this group, we have one anomaly, and that's Manu Ginobili. And maybe, and Manu Ginobili recently with his number retired by the Spurs, maybe it's just a good time to stop and appreciate how incredible his shooting growth was throughout the course of his career. Obviously, his growth as a player, his contributions, his style, his creativity, these are all his longevity, uh, his work as a teammate. These are all things that are well chronicled um, and, and worthy attributions. But I'm not sure I've ever really heard great love given to how much he improved as a shooter. And he was never a bad shooter. But when he was in Europe, he shot in the low 70s from the free throw line. And this is not a 19 or 20 or 21-year-old. He was already in his early 20s. So his 23 and 24-year-old basketball seasons, which basketball reference defines as your your age on February 1st of the given year, in those seasons, Manu was only 73-38. Low 70s, some ability to shoot the three. Or a strong ability to shoot the three. But he's really bucking the trend here. You can say John Barry, who was also old in college, uh, is another one. But I, Manu was even more severe. When Manu came into the league, he was 74-35 as a rookie and an old rookie. And he gradually improved his shooting until finally at the age of 29, he went from maybe an 80% free throw shooter to a high 80s guy. And his three-point shooting went from mid-30s, high-30s, and then he started clocking in seasons over 40. That's, that's remarkable. John Barry's first 175 threes, he only shot 30% in the NBA. So you, these, these are the low guys. These are the, the, so far, we've never seen anyone get to this sort of tier two shooting level, be considered a very, very good shooter when it comes to um, I mean, we're, the three-point shooting and the free-throw shooting are proxies, right? They're just proxies. But in general, again, you heard the list. It's just hard to be a really good shooter without having shown the ability to shoot well at a young age. Now, a guy that this comes up with all the time is Ben Simmons. And it came up a lot. a lot of the feedback I heard about the video I did on Ben Simmons, where I devoted uh, a nice little amount of time to looking at his form at the beginning of the video. There was a lot of feedback about, and I just kind of get a general sense of people thinking, he lives in the three-point era, he's got this great coaching, he's a skilled basketball player, one day he'll know how to shoot. And the problem with that, despite the thousands of people who have come before him and never been able to make this kind of improvement, the problem I have is let me let me put on my cognitive science hat. Let me put on my behavioral degree for a second here. The the nervous system and the ability for your nervous system to control these kinds of ballistic movements exists on a distribution. Probably just some kind of 
normal distribution. Certainly the research I've seen, uh, I don't think anyone found anything that suggested it wasn't a normal distribution. So you've got short people, you've got tall people. And similarly, when it comes to these kinds of movements with your nervous system, you've got people who are really, really good at controlling the movement and the energy flow through their body to accurately shoot a little basketball into a hoop. And the size of your hands and your morphology, the, the shape of your skeleton, all of these things play a role. But the communication that occurs, and again, I don't, I'll move on. I don't want to get too into it. But the communication that occurs in terms of your nervous system, the electrical communication between the muscles that move the bones, that control the basketball, those differ from person to person. It's not just about habits you formed as a kid or techniques, right? We wouldn't expect if everyone had the same shooting coach and everyone grew up in the same environment that they would all be the same quality shooter. And that's a big, big thing for me. Obviously, (laughs) I'm biased because of my background, but it's also a big thing in terms of looking at someone's shooting signals when they're younger and using that to forecast where they get when they're older. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you exactly why from a basketball standpoint. There's a very specific reason. If you're young and you have wonky form, you have the same piece of feedback that everyone else has, which is how often is the ball going in the hoop? And when I miss, I have the eyesight to be able to see how I miss. So if I miss long, I need to be a little a little shorter. If I'm rimming out, maybe I get a little more arc. If I'm off to the left, maybe I need to drift. And a lot of players won't consciously analyze this, but when you're learning to shoot, your brain will make adjustments. Do I need to drift a little to the left? Do I need my, do my shoulders or my head need to move a little to the right? Does my elbow feel comfortable? Does my wrist feel comfortable? And I've said this before in other places. You can be an all-time great shooter with wonky form. And this is the exact physiological reason why. Reggie Miller's shooting form, where he claps his hands together and his elbows are sometimes appear to be doing funky things and his guide hand is got No one's going to teach that shooting form. But A, it was comfortable for him, and B, the actual physics, like the biomechanics as it relates to moving the ball of that shot weren't destructive enough that it prevented his brain from figuring out how to develop a pattern. I've heard them called engrams, like a, basically a repetitive motor pattern that your body puts on autopilot. I, I said I wasn't gonna I said I wasn't gonna get into it and nerd out and then here we are five minutes later talking about engrams. Um, <laughs> the biggest takeaway that I can share when it comes to shooting and basketball, regarding this kind of stuff is that it is significantly harder to rewire a pattern than to learn an original pattern. And what you're looking at with almost every single athlete or basketball player that comes up through the system is they have a pattern of shooting the ball that their brain is adopted to. And rewriting that is a crazy long task. That's why smart players who slowly improve their shot, LeBron James is a great example, tweak it. You tweak it slowly. You, you Every year you make a change or something. Okay, back on task. Tier one 
shooters? Who are the who are the all time greats, and what did they look like right before they came into the league and when they started their NBA career? Okay, so for this list again, about twenty guys: Steve Novak. Steve Novak did it twice. He was in the eighty-five forty club twice. He peaked around 91% from the line, 43% from three. Look, I told you, the shooters in this class, these are the greatest shooters in NBA history. This is no joke, these guys. You're going to hear a lot of 90s and a lot of crazy numbers. So Steve Novak technically did it twice. Such a shooting specialist that he struggled with volume or getting enough minutes to join this club. But he was a redonkulously good shooter. Had to include him here. And again, he did it twice. Buddy Heald has only done it twice, but Buddy Heald is grading out on the open metrics, the, the catch-and-shoot metrics, all these things, as just insanely good at shooting. He's only been in the league for three years, and he's done it twice. Um, throwing him in there, too, right now. And now the rest is just going to be relatively big names, except for this guy, Anthony Morrow. He joined the 85-40 club four times in his career. Four times, often in the mid-40s in three-point shooting. Probably uh, a, a lost name or an underrated shooter for a lot of people out there. The rest of these guys, though, just all the big names in the business. Clay Thompson, he's done it four times, including doing it as a rookie. Kyrie Irving has done this three times. Actually, when I started this research, this was going to be his fourth year but he's ju- as I'm recording this, he's just under 40% possible that he could make it his fourth year in the 85-40 club. He is a career 87% free throw shooter, career 39% from downtown. Just an incredibly good pure shooter. Another guy in a similar vein, you, you often forget just how good he is at shooting, and that's Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, he's done this four times. Chauncey Billups did it five times. Mark Price did it five times from the full line. There's an OG guy, one of the one of the great. He was kind of like Nash before Nash, one of the great shooters in league history. And to do that at that point in time, obviously, he stands out. You're hearing a lot of names that are recent. Mark Price played, you know, 25 years ago. Dirk Nowitzki. Not a bad shooter himself. He did it five times. Jose Calderon, another European, did it six times. Reggie Miller did it six times. J.J. Redick did it six times. 85-40 club, only a few players have ever done it more than six in league history. Pedro Stojakovic, seven times. He peaked at 93-43, 93% from the line, 43% from downtown. Ray Allen did it eight times. Kyle Korver did it eight times. And then you're left with only two. Stephen Curry, he's played in the league 10 10 years and he's hit the 85-40 club nine times. He came out of the gate 89-44 as a rookie. One of the, you know, really one of the great shooting seasons ever as a rookie. And he's only gotten better from there. Steph really in a class by himself, but I didn't want to create a a tier zero for Steph Curry. And the guy who's done it the most, actually, is Steve Nash, who probably would be my pick for greatest shooter ever if Steph never came along. Um, Nash did it 13 times. And from 2002 to 2010, 
the bulk of his prime, he averaged 91% from the line, 44% from downtown. Now, if you put the volume filters on that I mentioned at the beginning, he actually, I think he just misses on the three-point attempts on a couple seasons. So it's technically, you know, it's not 13 times based on what I've laid out here. Um, It's nine or 10 or something like that. And certainly if Steph keeps playing, he'll pass him. But just to pause for a second, the just the pure shooting of Steve Nash was off the charts. Okay, all right. I've collected myself. I'm back in a good mental space. Uh, let's finish the podcast. The, the, uh, the averages of these all-time great Tier 1 shooters, the averages of this group right before they came into the league, 87% from the line, 43% from downtown. So if, whether they're playing in college or Europe, they're stroking it. In their first year, very similar pattern to what we saw in that Tier 2 group. They go uh, 86% from the line, so very similar free throw shooting, and 37% from three. 87-43 before, 86-37 in their first year or so in the league. Who are the low-end guys? Like, of guys to be this good at shooting, who looked the worst when they were either in college or when they started their career? I think among older players, you could make an argument for Reggie Miller, came into the league a little bit older than most guys do now. And in 1988, as a rookie, he only shot 80% from the free throw line and 36% from downtown. Chauncey Billups, 85% from the line, 33% from downtown. I mean, the elephant in the room here with some of these numbers is there's a decent amount of variability in three-point shooting. So if you're a young player, um, there's some room to say, well, yeah, he took 153s, but we know the exact same quality of shooter as he was as a rookie could spit out a 37% shooting season instead of 33%. That's kind of built in to what we're looking at here. Kevin Durant is another guy. Kevin Durant, it's just an incredible shooter. He was 82% from the line in college, 40% from the college three. And then as a rookie, even better from the line, uh, 87% as a rookie and 29% from three when he started his career but he was he was 19 years old so keep that in mind now let's go back to those rookies that we outlined at the beginning we know the average of players who end up becoming truly great shooters the lethal assassins a rare club because like you know kevin martin alan houston all those tier two guys they're not even in the club del curry not even in the club And those are great shooters, too. They're just clearly a tier below the guys I just went through. The averages of the Tier 1 guys, the year before they come in the league, 87 and 43. Their first year in the league, 86 and 37. The Tier 2 guys, the year before they come in the league, 82 and 39. So about four, five percentage points shaved off in each category. And as a rookie, 82 and 36. So the rookies in the top class, you've got better free throw shooting, slightly better three-point shooting. That seems to be predictive or indicative that you have the capacity to be an all-time great shooter. So where do our young, sharp shooting rookies stand right now? First, let's start with the guys who sit outside the top five in three-point shooting, but are probably the most 
interesting in terms of, you know, large scale scope. And that's the two star level, you know, candidates in Trey Young and Luka Doncic. For Trey Young at in college, the year before he came into the NBA, he was 86 and 36. And as a rookie right now, he stands 82 and 33. These numbers are very similar to tier two guys like Kevin Martin. So I think if you're expecting Trey Young to be in that Steve Nash, Stephen Curry, all-time level shooting field, I mean, 86-36, 82-33, that's pretty much below anyone who actually made that cut. Now, as I mentioned before with Trey, and I alluded to in his breakdown I did on YouTube, he does take a lot of long threes. But in this case, I think that's a feature, not a bug. I think that's integral to the way he plays, stretching the floor, the way he runs the pick and roll. There's trade-offs that go with it, and I think the trade-offs are a net positive. And so I don't see him taking out the long threes. So where some people might say, wait, do we need to adjust for the fact that he's actually a slightly better shooter than his three-point numbers would indicate? I actually see that as semantics, because in this case, there's no functional difference, assuming he plays this way. Goodness knows I've been I've been wrong many times, but the theory, at least, is that this is baked into how he plays, and so the accuracy of his outside shots, even though it should be slightly better if he steps in two or three feet, uh, I'm saying he will never really step in two or three feet. So it's hard, based on what we're seeing, to A, assume he's going to change the way he shoots and plays on the perimeter, and B, based on that, he actually is has the footprint between last year and this year to be a very, very good or great all-time shooter, which bodes well for him as an offensive player, of course, but I don't think he's in that Tier 1 category, or at least it doesn't look like he's headed for that Tier 1 category. That's a better way to say it. It's significantly less likely right now for him to head to that Tier 1 category. What about Luca? Luca, his last two seasons in Europe was 81% from the line, 31% from the three. This year, he's 71 and 33. Wow, 71% from the line. I think Luca is leaving points there. Based on how he shot as a teenager in Europe from the line, I think the 71% is probably uh, an anomaly. It's probably a dip that corrects itself. But Luca. Can you even get him into like the tier two or the guys who are on the borderline of tier two? And the answer there is no. Now, in Luca's case, I actually think some of the step back threes he's taking or some of the length on his threes does indicate that he would be a better, you know, say catch and shoot three point shooter, which is something the way his size, the way he plays, and and his teammates potentially getting better in the future, you could see him having more of. So I actually think I'm I'm a little bit more optimistic about his numbers. First, the free throw shooting from when he was in Europe uh, as a teenager is incredible. He's still so young. And then, of course, uh, as a rookie, I think his three-point shooting is slightly suppressed in the, in the way we're thinking about this conversation of him as a great shooter. I actually think he's slightly better than what the numbers indicate. But even with all those things, that's just me trying to add a little color, a little context looking forward. He still looks like he's going to fall short 
as an all-time great shooter. Now, keep something in mind here. Some of you are probably saying, how have you not mentioned Larry Bird? Well, it's the volume cutoff. They just did not shoot enough threes back in Larry Bird's day. But of course, back in his day, for the guys who didn't shoot a lot of threes, he was one of the best, if not the best. And Bird did have, let's see, two, four, just looking this up in the background, six seasons over 40%. And in all those seasons except one, his free throw percentage was above 88%. So if you if you loosen the volume criteria, you would scoop a player like Larry Bird in. Now, why am I mentioning Larry Bird? Because when he started shooting threes in the early 80s, his rookie year he shot 41%. And then he had a number of years in the 20s. Now, of course, they didn't practice threes back then. But I think if you're trying to make a connection between a big, tall guy with a certain high release point, comfortable getting his shot off, things of this nature, I don't think you can connect Luka to Bird in that sense because Bird was in the high 80s as a free throw shooter as a rookie. Luka's at 71%. I think the guy for Luka is closer to Manu Ginobili, who of course is seemingly one of these outliers in terms of his ability to improve as a shooter throughout the course of his career. But still, using this method, uh, very unlikely that Luka becomes an all-time really good shooter. Landry Shamit, on the other hand, he's borderline tier one in terms of his averages before coming into the league and after coming into the league. Before coming into the league, his last two years of college, Landry 81% from the line, 44% from downtown. A little bit lower on the free throw numbers than you want, but smoking hot from three. As a rookie, he's got the free throwing up to 84%, and he's shooting 42% from downtown from the NBA line. That is right around sort of in between the averages of the two groups, and you could make an argument that he could fall as a tier one or tier two shooter. Guy looks like a fantastic shooter. Alonzo Trier, his last two years in college, he was 84 and 38 as a rookie, shooting 80% from the line, 39% from downtown. That is very similar to a lot of tier two great shooters. So it does look like we're going to have some guys from this class who could be added to the entries of all-time sharpshooters in league history. The other three in the top five, Colin Sexton. I don't know what to make of Colin Sexton. His one year in college, he shot 78% from the line, 34% from three. This year, he's blowing that out of the water on decent volume. Gets to the line, shooting 84%, and he's taking a bunch of threes, shooting 41%. That is the kind of profile of someone who could possibly hit tier two of this group. To be determined, I, I really just don't know what to make of him. The other two guys, Shea Gildas-Alexander, he looks great. In terms of the numbers, 82% from the line last year, 81% this year, right around 40% in both categories. Uh, And again, he's very low volume, but this could be someone who blossoms into a really good shooter. And the last guy, I would say, is a long shot to make Tier 2 based on his free throw shooting profile. He's He's got that John Barry thing going on. That's Kevin Herter. His two years in college, last two years in college, he was 75% from the line, 39% from downtown. And as a rookie this year, 
74% from the line, but 38% from three. So that's a wrap on looking at the all-time great shooters and trying to project young shooters moving forward based on right before they came into the league and when they started their career in the league. I will make these lists available to patrons in a Patreon post. You can always sign up and support at patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. You get different things depending on the tiers you go into. And of course, uh, patrons, as always, thanks so much. You guys continue to inspire me and help me do this. To everyone else, thanks for listening and supporting the show. Thanks for watching over on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel. And with that, I hope you're having a great day, great week, and I will see you guys in the next episode.